This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. That means it is the day after podcast at InsideCarolina.com. Of course, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyTShirt.com. And, of course, take time to rate us and review us and subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe on Apple and iTunes uh, podcast. Give us a review. Throw a question in a review. We'll try to ask it uh, to one of our experts. I won't answer it because I am not the expert, but I know how to punt to the expert, so I'll do that. Buck Sanders, uh, I was in Keenan Stadium yesterday. I said it after the game on Twitter. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that in Keenan Stadium and going to games for almost 50 years. Just an unbelievable afternoon, Carolina and Wake Forest. Well, now we're back to the point where you uh, kick to me without a question. So I'll just have to uh, <laughs> wing that's, it from here. That's uh, the last thing I said before I click record is let's wing it. <laughs> well, um, this is pile on Tommy weekend and I'm yeah. sure you'll dig it in. You'll get into oh, that. Oh my God. Joey Powell ate you alive yesterday. When I see live. <laughs> uh, he just feasted on you. Uh, yeah, nobody, Tommy, you're not alone. Nobody has ever seen like anything like that in Keenan Stadium. I mean, it was amazing from so many perspectives. Um, you know, one was, you know, midway through the third quarter, we were all saying, hey, we've seen this movie before, um, you know, against Florida State and Virginia. And – you know, for North Carolina to go 14 up and score 35 unanswered was amazing. Um, and it just, you know, following Twitter and looking at the Inside Carolina game thread, the defense received a, you know, tongue lashing like never, hardly ever seen before. I, I, I'm going to just say that um, – the fire longo contingent, you know, at inside Carolina, um, on the message board has turned into the fire Bateman, uh, contingent. It's always fire somebody, but, uh, the, the defense, um, uh, you know, finding itself midway through the third quarter, uh, five possessions in a row, Wake Forest went punt, 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 punt downs and and that's what allowed to come back without that uh you could have had two sam howells on the team and three javante williams and it wouldn't have done any good so um you know i was really happy for you know guys like Domi brown and daz newsome and javante williams and michael carter because they just really showed out and you know, to do that in Keenan Stadium, though, albeit without a crowd, still it was just very uh, touching in a lot of ways to see those guys be able to show out, especially after what they endured in uh, you know, 2017 and 2018, you know, where they just would have no chance to let their talent shine the way they did yesterday. Um, and, you know, I think as much as, you know, a lot of people have, may have criticism from yesterday, there are things I would criticize as well. Um, and, you know, I wrote about this in my column today, but the thing that was to me stuck with me more about Sam Howe's uh, performance is that I thought he did an incredible job 
getting rid of the ball when there was nothing there. You know, out of his uh, 45 attempts, he completed 32. I'd say a good eight of those. I had, I'd have to go back and count, but I'd say a good eight or more. We're sorry we woke you up, Jason. Uh, <laughs> if you're not watching on YouTube, sometimes you need to, to see the uh, unspoken banter. Uh, <laughs> I bet he threw that ball out of bounds at least eight times uh, yesterday. And I think that is a, a terrific marker going forward in terms of Sam learning to get rid of the ball instead of trying to force it in a tight window and get a bad result. So I think maybe even beyond the six touchdowns and the one rushing touchdown and the 550 yards, to me, that was probably the most impressive thing about Sam's performance yesterday is he, he's learning now. And I think that's a um, mark of the coaching he's receiving to, you know, don't take that chance if you don't have to. I mean, I can see it in certain circumstances where you fight to the last possible second and try to make something happen. But in this particular game, um, you know, Sam did what he needed to do. He got rid of that ball rather than taking a sack or, uh, you know, risking a, uh, an interception by, you know, trying to force it in a tight window. So that's kind of my takeaway aside from my final one, which would be, we'd be talking about a much, we'd have a, be having a much different podcast today had they not pulled out that win. That's my, that's my uh, new puppy talking to you in the background. Maybe she can wake you up, Jason. That's it. That, you got another puppy. We, uh, my children want us to get another puppy. We already have one. So, and you did great, Buck, with no question. I mean, see, I don't even have to ask questions and you, you know, can talk for a few minutes about, and pontificate on Carolina's win. So I'm impressed. Uh, Jason, we'll talk about Sam Howe, and I agree. That's a great point. He threw the ball away um, yesterday. I still remember Longo flipping his lid. I believe it was at Virginia when Howell scrambled, 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 and then took a bad sack. Um, but let's talk about the elephant in the room that everybody's talking about. Wake Forest scores to go up 45-24 with – little under seven minutes to go in the third quarter and then the comeback starts I, I said off air and i say it again and i'll say it forever wake forest was just putting on a clinic and people saying what is the issue why can't carolina stop them the offensive line was flat out destroying carolina's defensive line during that span uh, jason what changed for north carolina's defense i think <sighs> There are a couple things. One is that Wake Forest, I think uh, they they made Hartman made some throws in the first half that, and and they made some catches in the first half that were not always the kind of throws and catches that they've consistently made all year. So so they 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 ran the ball well on the day. I mean, four point nine yards per carry on the day, excluding sacks. It's pretty good. You know, you'll you'll take that. Um, but they they also they hit some throws against Carolina's defense in the first half and and part of the first quarter or, or third quarter that is that really made made things a lot worse because now not only are they able to run it reasonably well but they were they were able to kind of do whatever they wanted and I thought they they cooled off throwing the football a little bit. They, Hartman missed some throws in the second half that he didn't miss in the first half. And I think that's, that was part of it. There, there were a couple seams and things like that, that, that he missed that I know he'd want to have back. And uh, so I think that's part. The other part is that I thought Carolina got, it was just a lot better in terms of their overall execution, both in the, in the secondary and especially in terms of their pass rush lanes and their run fits. So, you know, I went back and I looked at it and honestly, I didn't see a whole lot in the, in the way of scheme change from third quarter to fourth quarter, uh, from first quarter to fourth quarter. I mean, by and large, Bateman didn't 
didn't change a whole lot. And, and, and you know, some people might be upset about that and hearing that, but there wasn't a ton of change. I mean, there were, there were a couple personnel changes that were made that I think are interesting. I mean, you saw the, saw the high school kid come in at, at corner and played most of the second half. Guy who should be in high school came in and played pretty well at that corner position in the second half. So, you know, that, that's going to be interesting to see that position moving forward because I have a suspicion he may have just won that job. So that was, that was something. And, and, and he got beat some in the second half, but he, 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 he played reasonably well there. Uh, so, you know, you saw that. You saw uh, Conley come in a little bit in, this, in, in the fourth quarter. They, they did a few things in terms of crowding the line of scrimmage, but the thing was they crowded the line of scrimmage in the first quarter and then they just got beat down the field. <laughs> so, you know, it, I don't think it was a scheme change that, that changed things. What I saw was I saw guys not out of their gaps as much. And I saw when they were pa- rushing the passer, that guys were more consistent with their pass rush lanes and, and more disciplined overall. And that was really the, the, the biggest difference is just that, Ultimately, there is better execution, and I think some of this was that that they some of the some of the vets in particular, you know, Vohasic in the fourth quarter had himself a day. He he looked like he somehow got fresher, and I mean they played more players up front in this game than they have recently, but he looked fresher and was able to get some pressure on the inside in the, in the second and in, in the second half, particularly in the fourth quarter. And then I thought when they started to the come back. They were able to, to use some, some inside backer blitzes that actually hit. So instead of getting picked up, they were able to, they were able to get a couple of blitzes where uh, Surratt in particular was able to get in the backfield. And, and the, there was the one really critical one on, on the, the last stop where the ball game's tied that that was, that, was a, that was a blitz that I don't think they'd shown the rest of the game, and I haven't seen it a whole lot this year, and, and that's one I'll probably break down for this week because they, they, uh, they lined up Gimmel in one A-gap, and they had him work across to the other A-gap just to basically move an offensive lineman to get Surratt a free run to the, to the quarterback, and it worked perfectly. And so there were a couple of little things like that that they did that were, that were timely, some really good timely calls. But for the most part, it was just guys not getting their butts kicked as much as they had in the first half, guys doing their jobs and, and their assignments a little bit better, and Wake missing some throws that they'd made in the first half. And, you know, you look at it, first half, Wake Forest averaged 8.6 yards per play. Second half, Wake averaged 4.7. And that was spread pretty evenly across the, 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 the second half, 5.3 in the third quarter, and then, uh, and then uh, 4.0 in the fourth quarter. So Carolina's defense got incrementally better over the, course of the, over the course of the day as they started to figure out Wake's rhythm and started to figure out a little bit of how Wake does things. And I think it was more the players getting used to that than it was anything scheme-wise because I, I just don't think a whole lot changed on the scheme side. Yeah, they put the young guys in on the line. But talking about uh, Sam Hartman's day, he I'm looking at QB progression, and it's a fascinating graphic that I always check out. He completed the touchdown pass um, in the third quarter. He was 21 of 29 at that point with 11, a little over 11 minutes left in the third quarter. And then a lot of X's. Mm-hmm. on that including the one big drop by i don't want to mispronounce his name but gruel i think he's a he's a north carolina kid on third and four that sort of gave carolina some life but he went from 21 of 29 to 23 of 39 while carolina was making that comeback but looking at snap counts and looking at um, the youth getting some some run there i mean miles murphy 20 snaps and i thought he was effective in those Clyde Pender 13 Kevin Hester 10 Um, but one thing that still shocks me is Surratt and Gimmel played 95 snaps apiece and when I was watching that defense um, until they started uh, mixing in some younger guys or some depth they were dead tired I mean they were gassed and then Bateman and Brown and I'll get some stat get some youth in there 
the question on the message boards and the question I slacked you guys and I want to hear from Buck and then Jason, I want your take because I find this an interesting question. Do you think the defensive struggles are due to a young D or is it just truly on Bateman? Buck, I'll let you take it first. What do you think? I would say it's not on Bateman is where I would go with that uh, pretty much right out of the gate. You know, the the defense, I mean, <clears throat> heading into the season, all of us had very high expectations for the offense. And, and the last several games, we have seen that expectation be fully justified. Um, like Sam Howell is averaging something crazy like 328 yards per game throwing the ball. I can remember when we got excited when any quarterback threw for over 300. Now he's averaging 325. So moving on to Bateman, I think Bateman is doing the best he can with what he has. And, you know, a lot of times going back to expectations, we didn't have really high expectations uh, for North Carolina's defense. We hope they would improve. And I think in several games this year, it has seemed like we've seen improvement. Um, and I, I think still North Carolina is uh, doing better, you know, especially against the run. Um, I think they have very few – they have fewer, I think, but they have very few regardless. Um runs of 10 yards or more against them than most of the ACC. So they're, they're doing better at not getting, uh, you know, letting long runs get away from them. Um, but at the same time, I honestly think that, you know, we started out thinking that um, Bateman had a lot more bullets in his gun in the defensive secondary than last year, and it's turned out not to be true. We're still playing um, Hollins a lot. Uh, not to disparage Hollins, but he was probably your third or fourth option headed into the season at his position. And, you know, they're, they're having to move pieces of the puzzle all over the place. And it's the fifth option, Buck, actually. Think about yeah. it. He well, down, you know, he was I can't, down the chart. Yeah, and and considering, uh, as Jason talked about just a few minutes ago, we have a what amounts to a high school senior taking over starting corner spot. Now he he's ultra talented, but still, they had tons of options at corner when the season started. So you've seen a massive depletion in the defensive secondary. Uh, and instead of Bateman having a AK-47, 30-clip uh, gun, he, he's ended up with like a double barrel. I mean, it, it's, it's ridiculous how many options he's lost in the secondary. So um, that along with, you know, and this was alluded to a little bit on Twitter yesterday, I think North Carolina really misses Strobridge and Crawford more than we hoped that they would miss them. Um, I think we expected more out of the pieces that we had left, uh, excluding the true freshmen, than we've ended up seeing. So, you know, it's not a picture, a perfect picture for Bateman in terms of the options that he's got defensively. And, you know, there, there are going to be times, I'm, and a lot of people were really surprised by Wake Forest, but Wake Forest had, like, the third best offense in the ACC coming into this game. I mean, they were already really good offensively and, and probably, I, I would say, conclusively, that's the best offense North Carolina's faced this year. Um, I, I don't think they've faced anybody as good as Wake on that side of the ball. Wake is very sound. They don't make mistakes. I mean, I don't recall a single illegal procedure on the Wake offense all day yesterday. They don't beat themselves. Schematically, they're sound. Uh, Clawson does some interesting stuff with them. The elongated mesh that's now 
worked its way into IC lexicon. Um, there's, uh, you know, part of it is North Carolina defensively being where they are in terms of personnel at this time. And part of it is Wake Forest is just really good on the offensive side of the ball. So uh, that, that combination meant that Wake was probably going to score a lot of points. I didn't expect 53 out of them. But, um, you know, I'm happy with the win. And um, I, I feel a little better now that North Carolina has a bye week. Maybe they can get some of those defensive guys back that have been missing. So we'll see what happens. But to your point, uh, Wake Forest offensive penalties, three accepted for 10 yards at a grounding um, that they got right back on another penalty on Carolina. Had one false start and then had delay of the game late. Um, and then the defense had one holding penalty. And before we get any deeper into the show, let me take a second and talk about Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Of course, I mentioned they're sponsors of the Inside Carolina podcast and friends of Inside Carolina Premium subscribers. You get 10% off your everyday order if you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber, and that's on top of all the great sales they have. Black Friday sales are coming up, Christmas, holidays, anything you need. They always have a sale. They always want to save you the money. And, of course, that 10% helps out a lot, too. And Johnny T-Shirt is offering that throwback jersey. Everybody talks about how great those jerseys looked. You can get it. You can own it. You can put it on your wall. You can hang it up in your man cave, or you can wear it at Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Buy it from them. Support local. Support everything you can do or do everything you can do to support those guys. They need it. All small businesses need your support during this time. Like I said before, and I'll say again later in the show, I'm sure a lot of places sell Carolina gear. Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com are the only ones that are locally owned and operated. Go visit them on Chapel Hill or in Chapel Hill or visit them online. And, of course, get that 10% off if you're a premium subscriber with us at IC. Take another short break. Let the national guys pay the bills. We'll be right back. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, listening to the Day After podcast. Of course, that means Jason Staples and Buck Sanders are still with me. You know, a, a lot of people talk about Carolina should never lose to Wake Forest. I just, you know, this isn't the 1980s. and the Even the 1990s, Wake Forest can play, and Clawson is a good coach. Um, but, Jason, sticking on the defense, uh, just in your first blush watching, what – What'd you see from the young guys? I thought Miles Murphy was a difference maker when he was out there. I saw 98, Kevin Hester make some plays and, and make a difference. How would you sort of first eyeball look? Um, how did those young guys play? And I'll include Conley and Grimes in that. Yeah, so, and I, I want to add a couple things to what Buck said as well in terms of, I, I think Bateman would tell you that there are times where he he can do certain things better. There's no doubt. Uh, you know, he, he there are a couple times where he's gotten too predictable against certain looks. You know that okay. You know there when, when we line up in you know this particular nub set. You know we know that this is going to happen. So there have been some cases where that's happened. But the reason you get predictable, by the way, is because you are limited. <laughs> it's like okay, well if I do this, then I'm asking that guy to do something I'm not sure he can do. So you, you've got to find ways to be creative in certain cases. And, and you know, I think Bateman would, Bateman would say that there's some on him 
for some of the some of the struggles that that his team has had, no doubt that his side of the ball has had. Uh, but I don't think it's a choice between you know this is a young defense versus uh, you know it's all on Bateman, which is what the question asked. I'd say it's a question of whether this is a an untalented defense. It's not just a matter of youth; it's a matter of a lack of talent. And uh, and the good thing, and this brings us to the young guys, is that when you do get to those freshmen. Now you're starting to see some talent. But you do see things like, you know, there's that key, key play where they drew Miles Murphy off sides. And you could see the young guy just heads on his he- uh, hands on his head going, oh, come on. And that's the price you pay for young guys playing, right? You're going to get some of those mistakes. You're going to get a guy in the wrong gap. You're going to get some things. But what I see with Murphy is I see a guy with a big enough body that some, you know – very good national championship winning coach that I've, I've talked to in the past has said that, you know, you want to get big guys out there. Cause sometimes those big guys do more by more right by accident than the little guys do on purpose. Yep. <laughs> and there's something to having a guy with miles Murphy's size and length that he can bring to the table there that, that helps. And I thought in the second half, there were some places where with him on the field, they didn't get pushed around at that spot the way that they did a, a little bit more with a couple of the other older guys there. So that's, that's something that I did notice. I also thought, I thought Grimes played well in the second half. There were a few places where his route recognition, because they do a lot of match reading in terms of releases. And one of the things that makes Wake so difficult is they do a lot of cross stuff. They do a lot of switch routes. They, they're going to cause all sorts of confusion and problems with your secondary. So if your eyes aren't really disciplined and you don't understand that, you know, okay, when they're in bunch, cause they use, you know, bunch formations where you got three receivers within, within lined up within five yards of each other. And all of a sudden they'll scatter release those guys or they'll twist release them or they'll switch release them. And you've got to know like, okay, that was my guy when they lined up, but now instead of being on the number one guy who's the furthest to the outside, now based on how they released, I've got the number three guy and you've got the number one guy and you've got the number two. And all this stuff has to happen seamlessly or they're going to get a guy wide open. And when you have a, when you have a secondary, this is, the, this is the third thing, is it's not just a lack of talent where you have some, some, some talent issues, particularly up front with the, with the older guys in particular, but it's also, and this gets back to what Buck had said, when you're, when you're starting the year and you've got Storm Duck, who's one of the best corners in the, in the, in the conference, he's a younger guy, but he's, he's one of the best corners in the conference. And you've got him on one side, and then you've got uh, the Clemson transfer whose name is escaping me uh, on uh, – uh, uh, Kyler Michael. Yeah, Kyler Michael uh, on the other side. As you're starting two corners – both guys with experience, both guys who are older. And then you got Patrice Rene as your third guy, who's a multi-year starter and an NFL prospect, but he's coming back from injury. Those are your top three corners. And then you can stick Trey Morrison in there in the slot. And then you can <laughs> juggle some of the, and then you've got, you know, uh, Wolfolk at, at safety. You've got a bunch of guys that have played a lot. And now – and played together through camp and everything else, right? And so now when a team lines up and they're like, okay, we're going to line up in this bunch and we're going we're gonna to run a switch route, a switch concept, or we're going to scatter release them, or we're going to run a follow concept, which can get really hard because now you've got one guy releasing and then another guy releasing in his footsteps. And you've got to be able to match that just right, or one of them is going to be wide open. Because, okay, I'm, uh, and I've got to take this guy and, you know, he's my release because he's the first vertical release to the outside. I've got to take him. And the other guy's looking for an inside release and it never comes because another guy's in that guy's tracks. Well, an experienced secondary that's working and, and second, this is the funny thing is that actually uh, on the philosophy side of things, when you talk to coaches, defensive backs and offensive linemen are actually very similar in terms of their responsibilities. It, things get flipped. So you, you, this is where uh, 
wide receiver coaches and defensive end coaches talk about how they're actually in terms of releases and certain techniques, they have to teach a lot of the same stuff. There's a lot of overlap there. And I actually learned a lot as a wide receiver in, in, in college by one, one of my best friends on the team was an offensive tackle who then went on to play in the NFL. And he and I went after each other in the summer where I would try to get off the line against him. So he would be in press, in press coverage like a corner against me lined up in his, in his offensive line stance. And then I'd have to get off the line against him. Well, you know how hard it is to get off the line against a guy with a, you know, seven, uh, what I think he had a, like a six eleven wingspan. <laughs> you better have really good footwork and your technique had better be really good. Your hand technique has to be good. Cause as soon as he gets his hands to you, you're it's over for me as a 195 pound wide receiver. That's the same thing that a defensive end has to do. So wide receivers and defensive ends are doing a lot of the same stuff and secondary players and offensive line are doing a lot of the same stuff. It's just spread out. And when you talk about offensive linemen, you know, I, I know Ingersoll's talked about this a lot. And we talked about this on the game plan podcast. When you have the same five that are starting for a long time and that have been playing together in camp and all this, then when you have a twist from the defensive linemen or different things like that, they can seamlessly react to that because they've, they've done it together before and they can work as a unit unit. Well, when you, have a secondary it's doing the same thing it's just more space and now all of a sudden you get a twist you get you know switches you get different things like that from the receivers and all of a sudden if you don't have guys that have played a bunch in the secondary and have played together that can communicate without having to talk <laughs> and all this stuff you're going to get guys running wide open and you, we saw quite a bit of that especially early in the game wake forest came in and they said Look, we can push you around up front and we can confuse you in the back end because those guys have not played a bunch of football and they've not played a bunch together. And you got some young guys out there and we think we can, we can give you this concept that's going to cross these guys down the field here. I mean, they, they ran you know, a deeper mesh concept with two, two over routes. One of them came wide open because guys just didn't switch it right. It's Touchdown. And then you get, a, you get a bunch concept and you scatter release and, and two guys took the outside release. Nobody took the inside release. There's nothing wrong with the scheme there. What you're dealing with is you're dealing with guys that have not seen that enough times to where they just automatically respond. And again, it's, it, it, for, for those who've played basketball, it's you know, switching on defense. You can call the switch, but if you're a really good defense, the, the, the switch call is courtesy, right? You're, you're already if – you're, if you're having to wait for the switch call to, make, to, to start switching, it's too late. And so you have to, you have to seamlessly – you know, I've, I've played next to this guard before, and I know how, he, how he's working, and I can feel where he's at, and we're going to switch automatically. And we're both calling switch. That's what you've you got to have. And they got cut up on the back end – because of that so it's a combination of guys that have not played together a bunch in the secondary so you're getting miscommunications you're getting guys who've moved positions right when you're when you're changing positions and you're doing all this <laughs> it's it's hard if you've got storm duck and kyler michael back there and then your third corner is, is patrice renee and you've got wolfolk back there and you've got you know one of the one of the safeties there and then you've got trey morrison as your fifth guy I'm willing to bet that you give up probably 17 to, to 24 fewer points in this game yep. just because you don't have the busts in the back end and you're playing exactly the same coverages. You're playing exactly the same. <laughs> you're playing exactly the same stuff. The calls are the same, but you don't have the busts. And then if you have next year's defensive line with miles Murphy, with, uh, with Pinder, with uh the with actually your best guys hurt right you all of these guys are going to be out there next if you add those guys there all of a sudden that changes things in the run game so i know a lot of people get frustrated to hear this but it is personnel more than anything else now ultimately and this is what bateman himself will tell you it's on the, the defensive staff to be able to coach those guys to understand where they're making mistakes to help them 
get recognize things quicker and to put them in and to make specific calls in specific situations that do simplify things for them. And that's something that they're, they're doing what they can to do. The thing that if I'm, if I'm evaluating the coaching in this game, the thing that I'm looking at and I'm saying Carolina's in good hands on the defensive side is precisely that you gave up over eight yards of play in the first half. And then you give up, just over five in the third quarter and 4.0 in the, in the fourth quarter. That's telling me that there's a lot of coaching that's happening on the sideline that says, okay, guys, look, 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 here's what, here's what they did. Here's what you're seeing. This is, this was the bust. This is what we did wrong. When you see this again, you got to do it this way. Let, let's, let's work through it. All right. Here's, here's what we got. Okay. When they do that, where, where, and you quiz your guy, oh, and you're starting to see that guys are starting to get that a little bit. And again, going back, I'm, I actually, while Buck was talking, I was looking at, uh, at the couple stops uh, on, the, on the, uh, the recording I've got of the game. And I do see that the secondary was, cl- was, was tighter. Same call that I saw in, in the early part of the game. But they didn't make the mistake on the switch route. So guys are actually in position to make a play. And that stuff, and, and, and a couple particular plays that I was looking at. So that's the stuff that makes the biggest difference. And these are the growing pains of a team that has not been especially well coached on defense in the in the times prior to uh, to, to Mac Brown and Bateman arriving. Different system, even when they were coached well at those positions. And then you have uh, you have a bunch of young guys with talent and a bunch of older guys who don't have a whole lot of talent. And then you've had a revolving door in the secondary in terms of personnel. And it's sort of a, a perfect storm to end up giving up a lot of points. And, you know, that's where, and, and I would be, be hesitant to say, you know, look at the 53 points. One of the reasons they gave up 53 points is the pace to play. Look at how many drives there were in this game. Yep. So, you know, that's the other thing you have to consider. They, the key thing is that they got key stops when they needed to. They got, what, four stops. Uh, five, uh, five stops. What was the final five stops? I was, I was going to say, I think it was four stops in a row and then they gave up one touchdown, but, um, but they gave up five, they got five stops in the second half. Yep. I got a question for Jason, uh, because this occurred to me during the game and after the game. Um, when, you know, it's, it's always the case that when another team gets up big, you always worry whether uh, they're going to start to pump the brakes or, you know, take something off the fastball, going down the stretch, protect the lead. Uh, They're wary of things like that. Um, I I don't so much think I saw that at all from Wake Forest. I think Wake Forest would have scored, you know, beaten North Carolina by 50 if they could. I don't think they were taking anything off their offense. But at the same time, I think, um, you know, they, when they were up 21, and as Tommy mentioned, that uh, touchdown pass from Hartman to Green. And then, you know, it, not long after that, North Carolina scores a touchdown and cuts it to 14. Then they cut it to seven. Does – uh, do offenses in that situation, I mean, everybody knew on the entire wake bench and on the field that North Carolina was capable of mounting a massive comeback if they wanted to. They did it against Florida State. They did it against Virginia. They know it's there, you know, and it's capable of exploding at any point. Um, do you think the Wake Forest offense got a little tight? You know, you mentioned going from eight, uh, you know, yards per play uh, and, and then down to four in the fourth quarter. You know, knowing that the game is on the line, the other team is storming back. They've cut the lead for 21 to seven. Now they've tied it up. Uh, it's 45 all. Do, I, I think it's human nature uh, under those circumstances not perhaps not everybody on the offense, but certain players might start to tighten up and not be able to execute quite as crisply 
when things were more free flowing. You you know that they're coming. You know that they were twenty one down. You know the game is tied, and then North Carolina goes on to score, you know, another fourteen points. Is that a thing where offenses can get tight down the stretch when they suddenly start to realize the other team is just storming back and we have got to to execute or they're going to come all the way back. I, I, I do think they got a little tight. And I, I think especially in, in particular, you look at those, those missed throws by Hartman. I, I thought that as Carolina started to show more life on the offensive side, I thought Hartman pressed just a little bit in the second half. So I think, I think you're right. And I, I thought I saw the same thing. Uh, it's hard to know what's going on in a guy's head, but just in terms of overall performance, you know, you saw one guy who hadn't dropped a ball, drop a ball. <laughs> and you saw the quarterback missed a couple locate ball locations that, you know, had been a little better. So, you know, I think there was a little bit of pressing there. And I actually think, you know, if anything, I think Wake, you're absolutely right that Wake did not go, you know, try to, uh, to sit on the ball and, and get tentative or anything. They, they kept the pedal to the metal. They did exactly the same stuff they'd been doing before. And actually, I think that's part of what hurt them in this game. I, I think, so you got to think, got to think about this. They, if you're Jay Bateman, you came into this game. We talked about this in the game plan podcast. What, it, what was it that they had to do to, to, to beat Wake Forest, to, to limit Wake Forest offense? Make Sam Hartman beat him. Right? That was what we talked about. They got two really good running backs. They, they run the football all year where they, they'd, run, they'd run twice as many times on the year. And that, that's something you pulled out, Tommy. They had run the football twice as many times as they had thrown it on the season. And what, what we all knew and what we talked about on the Game Plan podcast is given Carolina's issues up front and some of the weakness there, they were going to have to sell out to stop the run and say, look, if you're going to beat us downfield, you're going to beat us. But we're, we don't think that in the absence of Surratt and Washington and, and those guys that you're going to be able to beat us downfield enough to score a bunch of points to beat, to, given how many points the, the, the Carolina offense is likely to score. Now, there were more points scored than we expected. But at the same point, that's basically what happened. And if I look at what happened in this game, Sam Hartman threw it 45 times. Why did he throw it 45 times? He hasn't thrown that many times once this season. And why did he have to throw it 45 times? Why did their, their top running back only have 17 carries? It's kind of started to make a deal by the same token. Sam threw it 45 times. Right. But, but I think for, his high number this year before that was 34. Right. But so, for North Carolina, is it a problem for you? <laughs> are you, no, are you, if you no. go into a game and you go, okay, well, Sam Howell's going to throw it 45 times. What that tells you is we're probably behind. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or, that's, that's what that or, probably tells you. Or the other thing that could tell you is that's where the money is, you know, yeah, like yeah. the bank robber, you know, yeah. uh, in this case, it was both quote. <laughs> Yeah. Right. In this case, it was, well, you know, throwing for 550 yards, 213.3 passer rating. Yeah. You're, you're feeling like you can just go ahead and throw it on You're throwing on air, go ahead and throw it a bunch. So, you know, and you're behind, so there's no reason not to throw it. You want to maintain balance though. And I, I actually think that as the game went along, I thought, I thought Wake Forest lost a little bit of balance and, and, and I thought they got a little impatient offensively because and, and this is what Bateman did in this game. From the first quarter to the fourth quarter, they crowded the line of scrimmage and they played a bunch of man free. They played a lot of one-on-one -on -one matchups where they basically said, you're going to have to beat us in the secondary. We're not going to just let you run your usual run offense down the field all the, all the way. And they gave up some chunk plays as a result. I mean, Wake had more chunk plays in this game than they've had on the year. And that just, that's a result of some of the personnel issues and some of the other issues that Carolina's had and the inexperience issues in the secondary. But when the rubber met the road, when it came time to close this game out, Wake Forest didn't run the game out because Carolina continued to stack the line and they continued so much of Wake Forest's offense is predicated very much like North Carolina's on, okay, well, you're going to take that away with numbers. So we're going we're gonna to have to go to this. We're going we're gonna to take what you're giving us. 
And Carolina won some of those matchups late. And I think you're right that Hartman and some, and some of the receivers showed just a little bit of, a little bit of, a little bit of tightness. And now you're, you're able to, you're able to, to get a, get a couple key stops and squeeze back into the game that I think, again, that goes back to a little bit. That, that's the game plan. That's what you, you came into the game saying, look, if we can force Hartman to throw it 45 times, I feel like we're going to win the game. Even if we give up 400 yards, if, he, if, if he's throwing it 45 times, then that means that they're not just able to run at will and run the clock out. And they weren't able, when the game came to it, they weren't able to just hand the ball off. And I, I think they actually got a little bit gamed out of it, just in terms of formation and, and who was in the box and all of that. I, I suspect, actually, if they had, if the, that, that, if I'm the Wake Forest, if I'm doing my self-evaluation, if I'm doing my self-scout after this game, as the offensive coordinator, offensive staff, I'm probably kicking myself a little bit that when I'm up 21 points in the second half, that I didn't just start running the ball, even against the numbers, and say, you know what, you're going to have to stop me running it. I know that's not the way that they always do things, but if if I'm if I'm them, I'm starting to think, you know, we probably should have just started hand, handing the ball off and tried to go four yards at a time all the way down there, run some clock and kept the ball away from them when we had the you know 21 point lead. Yeah, the the stats bear out what you're talking about, Jason. If you look at the second half, Wake 19 carries, 1.4 yards of rush, threw it 26 times. You take away the last drive by Wake Forest, I believe, which was a 75-yard drive. Um, even including that, Wake had 212 yards in the second half versus 394 in the first. So I think it had a lot to do with Carolina's conditioning. I think it had a lot to do with some young guys getting some some run and producing. And I think it's a lot, you know, what you're saying is Wake Forest. Look, we sat behind the Wake Forest bench for this one you could see a dramatic difference in the mood on that bench when Carolina cut it to 14 and then when Carolina cut it to seven those guys went from um, laughing and joking and and doing what young guys do when they're ahead to definitely the butthole pucker factor was coming in and then um, you know when Javante runs over number eight I think the <laughs> ball game was over at that point and I mean the, the reason I mentioned that play, and I want to talk about Carolina offense a little bit, um, even though, like Buck, you said off air, there's really no need to sunshine pump too much because it is <laughs> what it is. Everybody saw what we saw there. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. But number eight, and I don't mean to call out individual players, but number eight had been chirping the entire game. And then Javante does that to him. Jason, I know everybody wants to see you break down that play, but Buck, that sort of summed up. Javante Williams' year, I think, is is a running back. I mean, he's a, a lead fullback on that play, and he wipes the guy out, which – The grown gif, man. Yeah. The gif on there doesn't show the thing that made me kind of giggle, and that was Michael Carter just bunny-hopped the guy. Like, he wasn't even in the way. But, Buck, what would you think of Javante's performance yesterday in light of Sam Howell going nuts? I mean, Javante still comes up huge for Carolina. You know, we're so blessed to be able to watch Javante Williams play football at North Carolina. It's just unbelievable. And, you know, you know the, the numbers kind of bear this out. Uh, Javante Williams is not – doesn't have Michael Carter speed, just put it that way. He's not the fastest breakaway guy, um, you know, that you've ever laid eyes on. He's not Amos Lawrence, for example. Um, going back, you know, uh, to a previous place in time. And, but this guy is always the hammer and never the nail. I mean, when he's running the ball, he's, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna try to avoid contact. He's, there was a player in North Carolina used to have, I think it was name was Rufus Brown, um, you know, that it almost seemed like he would aim for defenders and try to bowl them over and keep running. That, that's not Javante's style. He's got some – he's got a little bit of uh, – Wiggle. Wiggle, yeah. He's got a little of that. And he, he, he tries to not let 
defenders get clean shots at him. And, uh, but he's got decent speed. But what he's got is this attitude is, if you're going to take me down, you're, you're really just going to have to prove it to me. You know, you're going to have to prove that you can get me on the ground because I'm not going easily. And just watching that in motion every single Saturday, um, you know, one of the uh, funniest things was uh, I think the announcer said that Wake Forest let Javante score um, late on that uh, 20 yard run or whatever he had for the touch. I, I think they were right, by the way. That they let him score? Well, yeah, you know, I, I, I think, think so. that's There's also business decisions being made, Jason. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking is that, you know, <laughs> I think by the time you get hit by Javante three, four, five times, you, you're just less inclined to, you know, go full out, you know, on uh, trying to bring him to the ground. And, and I think that's borne out in uh, PFF's missed tackle uh, stats, you know. <laughs> Those, those tackles weren't so much missed as they were avoided. You know, uh, they just, uh, hey, I, I'm going to go through the motions and, you know, take a stab at it, but I, I, I'm not willing to get all of that, you know, uh, on the tackle. So, yeah, by the he, way, Javante should not have scored there. You think he should okay. have? Okay. Yeah. You, you can the, enlighten, enlighten so, us on that in a second. So, but. But but they let him. I, I'm I'm confident. The, the interesting thing is, I think that the announcers are right that they let him score. The inter, the interesting thing here is that Williams has had enough runs like this on the season where guys have made business decisions that it's actually an open question as to whether or not yeah this was just you know this was just normal business or whether they let him score <laughs> because My, that's that's the way he's run all year. Yeah, but, but I and I agree. If if he doesn't score, if he scores there and it puts Carolina up eight, then I agree with you. But when it puts Carolina up fourteen, you always going to take that, right? Mm -hmm. Nope. Yeah. We nope. He, he, yeah. He, the, the, the situation. It doesn't here, make sense to me as a strategic decision. Uh, yeah. The, the the decision here is that they have they have basically no way of stopping the clock. If he right. goes down inside the five yard line. You run it North out. Carolina can kneel. And, I got you. I, and, and, uh, and then there's zero chance at that point. I mean, you've, you've basically cut the chances of a, of a loss to, you know, however many zeros out there before you get to the one and in in, in, after the decimal, that this is where the best case scenario for Javante there is to get the game down to the, you know, one or two yard line and slide. And then you, because there were, there were what, two minutes on the clock at that point? Yeah. Or two, two twenty, And I think Wake had one timeout left. So yeah, at right. that point, so at that point, the, the proper thing to do, and, and actually this was a coaching mistake on Carolina's side, you should be telling your guys, look, we need to get the ball inside. We need to get a first down. If you have a free, if you have a clear path to the, to the, to the end zone, you go, you get inside the five and you go down. Because at that point, with one timeout, they can stop it. And then you're going to get 50 seconds between each play. You can kneel, ball game's over. There is no chance that, you, that they can win that game. The only chance that Wake Forest had to win the game at that point, and that's why they went for it on fourth down there, the only chance that Wake Forest had to win the game there was to give up a touchdown, go down by 14, get the ball back, score quickly enough, and then get an onside kick and have a chance to to throw the ball in the end zone. That was the only chance. It's a very low chance, but it's the only but it's chance. a better chance than a team kneeling on the football inside your own five yard line. <laughs> so but it, but that's why he it, should have gone down. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, good luck telling a, a college. Oh, I know. I kid know. that it's it's, and, it's uh, hard, but 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 if if you're going to have a guy that's going to listen and do that without a, without any questions asked, it's going to be Javante Williams. Yeah, absolutely. It, and that's why it, it was not a selfish play by him. It's just like I said, he wasn't he wasn't told, and he should have been. And then what did he do to seal the game? <laughs> He's the guy that caught the that caught yeah, the uh, that caught the circus catch on the onside kick. <laughs> onside so, yeah. kick. That dude's and, a football and, you player, know, man. Uh, we go through these. Um, conversations and looking at analytics and so on and so forth about what's your best chance to do X, Y, or Z, or as in Wake's case, what's their best chance to win the game? Um, 
this is the one case, and, and I'm a big believer in analytics and how it works and all of that, but this is the one case where I would say, go ahead and score. You know, <laughs> make them do all of that. You know, hey, if you can come back 14 points and tie the game up in the next, you know, two minutes, good on you. But we're going to go ahead and take the points and go up by 14. Then you're going to have to show that you can do it. And considering that up to that point, North Carolina had forced them punt, 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 punt out on downs. Maybe I'm going with the flow of the game as a pair, as opposed with the analytics. So I, I don't know what the right answer to that is. Me, I'm going with the, I'm going with the, they have zero chance, uh, effectively zero chance to win every time. I, I'm not, I don't want to put myself in a position where I'd have to tip my hat to anybody. I don't believe in that as a coach. I, I certainly, yeah, I, look, I see both sides. Um, so do I, but I, I just don't ever want to put myself in a position where I, I, I have any chance of tipping my cap to the other team. I want to win, baby. And to Clawson's credit, going for two there at the end to put it up, to set it up. Wow. Uh, and I thought Clawson was pretty solid in the postgame presser. You know, he talked about give credit to Carolina. They basically stacked the box and forced us to throw the ball, and we couldn't get it done in the second half. Let's wrap it up. Um, you know, like I said, we're not even going to really mention Sam Howe's 550 yards. and He played well. So he had a good game. You know, he uh, he did what he was supposed to do. I, like I said before, the two runs. Terrific game manager, wasn't he? He, he yeah. managed the game well. Yeah, he managed yeah, it well. Yeah. And then the stiff arm on 45 to just say, man, I, I got this. Don't get in the way. That, yeah, what, that is a performance that the if disrespect. anybody – It was just disrespectful to Wake Forest, Sam. You, you can't do that to the guy that's having their best – defensive performance of the year um anyway buck i'll let you wrap it carolina's got a bye week i, I think that uh a bye week is the best thing that could happen to carolina right now a lot of guys to get healthy there were times where guys looked tired in the first half and i think that's seven weeks of wear and tear so uh, notre dame comes in uh, carolina still needs some help with notre dame to lose to get to the ACC championship game, but this is a big, pro a big program game for Mac Brown coming to Friday after Thanksgiving. But your thoughts on the season thus far and going into these last three, specifically Notre Dame. You know, I, I am not, uh, and I don't think any right-minded person would be overly optimistic about that outcome against Notre Dame. They're a solid team in every phase. Offense, defense, special teams, they're solid across the board. I don't really think they have um, shown the um, expertise at, at on the outside of the offense, the receivers, that sort of thing, that North Carolina certainly has. And I don't think Ian Book is as good as Sam Howell. Um, but I don't know that that's enough to make the difference. I mean, he's not a horrible quarterback. Um, you know, he's uh, an effective quarterback. He's done everything that's been asked of him. That offensive line is probably better than any offensive line that North Carolina has faced. Um, they may get some players back in the secondary. Uh, North Carolina might. But, you know... Julius Peppers and Ryan Sims aren't walking through that door, you know. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be brutal, I think, from that aspect. The The other thing is they've been solid, pretty solid defensively all year long. They got some players on that side of the ball, too. So, um, you know, I, I'm not going to – don't mark me down as somebody that's optimistic. Uh, is Do I see a path, you know, to use – election terminology for North Carolina to, to Please win don't this bring game. Elections. <laughs> uh, well, that's just uh, bipartisan I, I would, terminology, you know. <laughs> There's a path uh, to victory for Carolina. There, yeah, I would say that, that there is. You know, Sam Howe is going to have to have, you know, yesterday's game. Uh, for example, Javante Williams is going to 
have to show Notre Dame he's a little tougher to bring down than some of the other guys. They, they might have to score 59 to beat Notre Dame. That's, that, that's true. I mean, that, that's, that's how that goes. Um, but I, hopefully they'll get some players back. I do want to give a shout out before we sign off to, um, I, I think I would butcher the pronunciation of his first name, but the walk on Johnson that played center yesterday, Curion or Q Q. Yeah. We can just call him Q. <laughs> uh, so I, I won't get, uh, that all botched up. I thought he had an excellent game. I thought he was very, very effective. And that was a huge question mark going into this game. So shout out to Q. Good job. Good on you, Mr. Johnson. Uh, and, you know, they, they, they do will have some chance. And I think getting the buy will help them. I'm not sure Wake Forest buy helped them very much. Um, you know, I, I think this buy will help North Carolina. Uh, they, they need to, you know, get in the ice tub and, you know, get some of these bruises healed and nicks and bumps and whatnot. And hopefully they can get a player like uh, McMichael back or uh, Jordan Tucker being able to play a lot of snaps. I'm telling you, if Jordan Tucker comes back and if, you know, Q has to still play in, in, in place of Brian Johnson or, or Brian Anderson, I'm sorry. Uh, or if Brian Anderson comes back, there's going to, you know, that North Carolina's offensive line is, is no grab bag either. You know, they, they can play effectively. So, um, you know, we, at least we've got two weeks to anticipate this game. Nobody's going to give North Carolina a chance. Um, so we'll just see. <laughs> I have to see how that works out. The other thing is that a bye week happens to be the week when you can work your young guys into a, into a lineup and really work a bunch. So you can, you can look at this historically every year. You'll see whenever a team's bye week is, is the week after that. It's when you start to see the most young players plan. Now Carolina got an early bye week, which it was so early and they had actually multiple weeks. It was so early that they didn't get to benefit as much from that, but you did see some young guys starting to play a little bit after that. This is the week that really gives you a chance for those young guys that are kind of on the cusp of really being able to contribute or being able to play. The bye week is when you can rest some of those older guys. They get in the cold tub. They, they, you cut their reps a little bit, and the, the younger guys are able to get worked into the, in, into, the, into the action a little bit more before you go into game prep the next week. And, and you can make sure that those guys know their assignments and know what they're doing and, and all of that. And that allows you to be a little deeper with some of those more talented young guys coming into the, into the last part of the season. So this is a really critical week for those guys. Yeah. And, and Buck, you mentioned Jordan Tucker, he played 72 snaps yesterday, but he needs to get hands-free um, out of the club and uh, get ready for Notre Dame. I, I think, uh, you know, you're, I, <laughs> if I predicted this game, Notre Dame Carolina game now, it's not going to be pretty. Maybe the next nine days or so we'll change that. But I agree with you, Jason. Carolina's going to need to put up six, 700 yards and score in the 50s against Notre Dame. If it's the exact same score the Friday after Thanksgiving and Carolina's on top, I don't want to hear a soul complain about the defense or anything um, because that's what it's going to take. Anyway, guys, it's always been fun. Uh, Buck Sanders and Jason Staples joining in the day after podcast. Uh, it's a bye week, so the schedule will be a little different. Um, no Inside Carolina Live show. And it'll take me a while to get over yesterday or Saturday's Inside Carolina Live after the abuse I took from Joey Powell. You, and, should, uh, you should talk about that email you got, Tommy, before you get off the air. So anybody that listens to both, I made the mistake of saying a certain band um, rocked a little bit. And so I caught hell on it all show long. And I want to send a shout out to whoever the wonderful person was that signed me up for the Nickelback fan club. Appreciate oh that God. email. Oh my God. Got an email. I'm a <laughs> member of that fan club. So um, if I find out who did that, there will be consequences and repercussions, <laughs> <laughs> but it's all in fun. And uh, yeah, it was a fun show. If y'all haven't been listening to inside Carolina lives, 
uh, you're missing out. Had a great interview with Kevin Reddick, who is doing um, his mobile training stuff. You need to check him out on. Did we, did we give a shout out to Johnny T-shirt? This I'm about to. Oh, okay. I'm Johnny just I, you know I didn't hear it. Usually you do it a little earlier. Yeah, and I and I didn't do the read mid show. I'll add it in on the audio version of it. But uh, Johnny T-shirt's been great. They've been selling that mm. throwback jersey. Uh, wow. For a long time. Uh. Yeah. So, so to throw, those unis were pretty tough yesterday. They look good. I thought. Yeah, I, I do like the argyle or the targyle, but I, if they went back to those uniforms from yesterday, I would not complain. They look strong, and the pride stickers. Shout out to J Bone for getting the pride stickers on the helmets. All around good day for that. Johnny T-shirt's been on top of that since day one with those jerseys for sale. They're still for sale. Check them out. Great Christmas gifts, um, and they've got all sorts of jerseys and. They, women's soccer team jerseys they're playing for the acc championship today um as we're wrapping this recording um a lot you can do to support local and support johnny t-shirt please do it and take time to support those guys there's plenty of options to buy carolina gear online um, but there's only one locally owned and operated store to buy it that's johnny t-shirt johnny t-shirt.com it's always fun boys Enjoyed it as always. Yep. Rate us, review us, subscribe, do all that stuff. Jason Staples will be breaking down videos as the week goes. Bucks, Bucks stops here. Column, column all week. Um, always good at Inside Carolina to get all the content you need. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.